Hi, everyone. I went to talk to the Duke 15 Alliance Scientific and Family Meeting last week to talk about the autism brain net. And while I was there, I talked to parents of children with this disorder, and I realized that those families share lots of similarities to those with autism. It's not just because 80% of people with Duke 15 also have autism, but even those without a diagnosis show similar struggles to those with autism. They include social challenges, repetitive behaviors, a want for independence, and almost all parents I spoke to were deathly afraid, and this is no pun intended, of a condition called SUDEP, or Sudden Unexplained Death in Epilepsy. Almost everyone I heard from, seizures had been and continued to be the largest challenge for their kids. At the family meeting while I was speaking, there was actually a child in the back who was experiencing a seizure at that moment. Had I known, of course, I would have freaked out and called 911. But meanwhile, these parents with years and years of experience handling seizures knew exactly what to do and handled their child so that they would just ride it out. Most of these kids take anti-seizure medications or are on different diets to help control their seizures. In many ways then, autism may not be the biggest problem they face, but this is a group that deal with autism with a known genetic mutation, and they have very similar experiences. The science, though, is advancing in a way that is not seen in autism. So I'm naming this podcast Chromosome 15 of Palooza and why families should take note. And before I go any further, I want to make it clear why people without this mutation should pay attention to what's going on in this group. First, they have a high rate of autism and symptoms are more similar to those with autism than they are different. Second, because they have a genetic mutation, their behaviors are not as different from each other as they are in autism without a mutation, meaning the heterogeneity is much less. This makes them very attractive for drug trials and for biomarker studies that would be applicable to those without a mutation. Third, the researchers of this disorder have been able to understand autism in a way that researchers who study autism without this mutation have struggled with. You can learn a lot about autism by studying those with a large genetic mutation, even if the person with autism you love doesn't have one. I'll skip the details of the dozens of types of mutations on a specific region of chromosome 15, which is associated with Prader-Willi, Angelman's, and autism. There are a lot of things that can contribute to the variety of behavioral features, including where the mutation is on chromosome 15, how it came about, which allele it appears on, whether it came from the genes that come from the father or the genes that come from the mother. Also, it could be a deletion or a duplication, and there's differences on how many times a gene is copied, like twice or three times. Angelman and Prader-Willi are disorders resulting from a deletion of this chromosome region. They're differentiated from each other on whether or not the deletion comes from the allele coming from the mother or the allele coming from the father. I'll stop there. Angelman and Prader-Willi are different disorders with their own challenges. The Dupe 15 Alliance is mostly interested in duplications of this chromosome of 15, which leads to anything from mild symptoms, craniofacial abnormalities, to triplications of the gene which are associated with autism and grand mal seizures. From now on, I'll be focusing on these duplications since these are the type that are associated with autism. Dan Geshwin from UCLA gave a great talk about the functional genomics of this region. He discussed how genes cluster into different groups in autism based on their function or role in development. Think of it as an airline map. If one plane is late, it screws up every other trip that that same plane is going to take that day. If it's in a hub like Newark, forget about it. That may affect multiple flights and air traffic control is going to be a big mess. Same with genes. 
genes co-express and are grouped into flight patterns. How much do they go up and down together? As it turns out, in the brains of people with DUP15, the genes in that region of chromosome 15 are altered, but the clustering pattern outside this region is pretty much the same as it is without DUP15, but with autism. It's slightly different in the cortex, supporting this as a key area to study both in DUP15 and autism, but otherwise the genetic patterns were pretty much the same. A specific gene in this region, UBE3A, codes for a protein. This protein breaks down other proteins, which is also important in normal cell function. You can't just have random proteins being produced and floating around with, without any control, or you'll have too many of them and too many of the wrong type of protein, which, for lack of a better word, screws up normal function at different time periods of development. So if you know the gene, and now you know the protein, let's move right into the treatment targets. And for this, you need animal models to start. Matt Judson at UNC noticed that since too much or too little UBE3A is a problem, Animal models are being studied to figure out ways to quote-unquote normalize this protein, either reduce the gene expression or increase the gene expression. Since it's all about dosage, it can't just be a turn-on or turn-off-the-lights kind of situation. You need a dimmer switch, not an on-off switch. Why do this? Well, it could lead to therapeutics. Autism BrainNet node director Matt Anderson created an Angelman syndrome mouse model where the gene is knocked out. UBE3A knockout got a hypersocial phenotype, which is similar to people with Angelman. He then created a duplication mouse, which is associated with autism, which increased UBE3A. The expression of another gene of interest called CBL1 is reduced after seizures. He hypothesized that UBE3A and CBLN1 interact with each other and that genetic susceptibility may be brought out by seizures. This is an example of a gene-by-environment interaction and expands the number of treatment targets besides just UBE3A. Dupe 15 accounts for about 3 to 5% of autism in total, even though 80% of those with the mutation end up having an autism diagnosis. To illustrate the other important genes in the region, Dr. Raman Sankar from UCLA illustrated the important role of GABA receptors in this subregion of chromosome 15 in controlling seizures in an animal model. Since most drugs so far to treat seizures focus on the GABA receptor, they're also important genes to study. Dr. Silverman also noticed that genes with this specific mutation of UB3A show anxiety, learning deficits, and repetitive behaviors, as well as a lower seizure threshold all relevant to autism. There are many different types of models of DUP15, and believe it or not, it's not just as simple as duplicating a specific region. Remember, genetic backgrounds, different forms of the mutation, breakpoints, oh my goodness. Researchers are trying to deal with this by focusing on the behaviors that do replicate, like anxiety and seizures. What about their brains? Jacob Elgood from the Sick Kids Hospital in Canada presented data where this group have brain imaging data across 89 different animal models of autism. Holy moly. Across all the different DUPE 15 models, there are decreases in size in autism-important regions like amygdala, hippocampus, and cortex. There were similarities, but also differences. Different animal models where the gene can be turned and off, like in the Rett syndrome model, have not just the gene turned back on, the brains also change. 
More importantly, though, we should think about whether or not these changes can stratify groups into treatment trials. There needs to be a biorepository of DNA, RNA, tissue, blood across these mouse models to compare. So far, the focus has been on UBE3A, but what about the other genes like GABA? And it's not all about the genes themselves. Their epigenome is affected. Janine LaSalle presented data that suggested that UBE3A loss and gain has genome-wide effects to the methylome. The genetics of 15Q deletions show that they are very similar to autism in the brain, but that may not translate to the methylome, which turns on and off genes. This suggests, and these are Dr. LaSalle's words, that they're stuck in an earlier stage of development, unable to move forward and progress like typical neurons do. So I'm sure you're sick and tired of hearing about mice, but you need to know it to learn the basic biochemistry and the basic genetics of dupe 15. As I mentioned earlier, people with dupe 15 have an incredibly high rate of seizures, which may even start as infants. Unfortunately, the options for infantile spasms and seizures are limited. Most of them don't even work. What could work? Well, what about cannabidiol? Now you hear cannaba and you think cannabis, marijuana, and you're partially right. This is not edibles, weeds, joints. Cannabidiols are specific chemical extracts from marijuana. These really should not be controversial. It should be considered the same as any extract that comes from an herb that is considered therapeutic, like quinine or milk thistle, curcumin or St. John's wort. CBDs or cannabidiols, and I'm going to say CBD so you don't have to hear me pronounce that over and over again, don't cause euphoria, hunger, paranoia, but they do reduce seizures. Not in everyone, I'll admit, but a couple months ago, a phase three double-blind randomized clinical trial showed a statistically significant improvement in the reduction of seizures. But for pharmacological reasons that are kind of boring, and I won't get into, it may work better if they're also on other anti-seizure medications. But really, how can you research it if it isn't legal in every state? Next week, I'm going to devote an entire podcast to CBDs and their potential therapeutic effects, what's stopping research, and what everyone can do to support more research. So stay tuned on that one. I won't get into it anymore. People with Duke 15 have more issues than just seizures. I mean, seizures is a big one, but there are others. What's going to make treatments for Duke 15Q and autism better? Well, you may have heard this before, but it's going to be better outcome measures, ways to measure improvement, and ways to screen compounds both in animal models and in people. For example, things like motor impairments have typically only been studied using tools to detect motor issues, not to quantify motor issues in those people who have them in the first place. In other words, most kids with DOOP15Q would fail typical motor tasks, and they probably always will. But what about improvements that still are in the impaired range? This requires new tests. The equipment is expensive, but can automatically detect small changes in motor behavior in terms of things like body posture and gait. Electrophysiology is another marker of improvement, severity, or stratification. Vidya Saranvampandian, and I know I pronounced her name right, is going to examine the similarities between wavelengths in humans and animal models. Animal models and people with dupe 15 and autism have an imbalance of excitation and inhibition, and actually so do people with autism without dupe 15 mutations. Brain waves measured through EEG can help scientists understand the nature of excitation and inhibition at the brain at any given time. 
video will be looking at individuals with DO15 with and without epilepsy to determine how these brainwave changes can be used to predict treatment and if they change with age, so stay tuned. How is autism with DOOP15 different from autism without DOOP15? Well, the difference in severity is consistent with the idea that these rare variants are more harsh neurologically than common variants. Charlotte DiStefano at UCLA showed that people with DOOP15 and autism have worse gross motor and fine motor abnormalities compared to those without the mutation. And these also may be related to poor social communication skills. However, DOOP15 kids have better scores on response to social smile and facial expression directed to others than those without the mutation. A pilot study is looking how they respond to joint attention training. And actually joint attention training has been shown to be helpful in those without the mutation. It might be more effective, it may be less effective. People with DOOP15 mutations also have neuropathological features that are worse, so to speak with higher rates of cellular dysplasia, where the cells go where they were not supposed to, and hypomethylation, which turns down the activity of genes. Also, people with DOOP15Q seem to have presence of the same protein that's associated with Alzheimer's disease. So that's something that definitely needs to be followed up on. Thank you so much for listening this week, and look forward to next week when I'm going to be talking about medical marijuana.